Man, I'll tell you, if that didn't light your fire, your wood's wet, okay? Because, I mean, I think we had it louder in our car than you was playing in here. And if you were driving down I-20, you saw five people dancing in a car. And that must have been like people were staring at us. But I'll tell you, revival did break forth. And, you know, really, heaven is going to be celebration. That may have not been your style, but I'll tell you what, heaven is going to be just complete celebration. And I think when we get in heaven, it's not going to be, well, I was raised this way or this. I'll tell you, we're just going to be in the presence of God. And that's going to overwhelm us. And everything you think you are will just disappear in the presence of God. So I'll tell you, I'm looking forward to that one day when I'm actually standing in front of Jesus, worshiping Him, kneeling, bowing before Him, and not thinking, how much longer is this service? I just want to spend the rest of my life with Him. So, I'm glad you're here today. This is the day the Lord has made. Amen. I missed you. I looked over there, yeah. So, <laughs> we're going to be continuing. I'm finishing up my series on Christmas classics, and I've got one planned for you today. But I want to, before we get started on that, I want to talk about the perfect gift. You know, that perfect Christmas gift. And I've realized that growing up, I always wanted, as a kid, my goal was to get the perfect Christmas gift. Do you remember that? Was there something that you really, really wanted growing up? The man, you just hoped, prayed, everything. If you went and visited Santa on his lap, that was what you mentioned to him. You know, everything that you did was geared towards getting that perfect gift. And a lot of times, we didn't get that perfect gift growing up. You know, I mentioned to you about opening a box and having socks in it. That's got to be one of the most disappointing things as a kid, to see a present wrapped and there's socks in that. That's like, you know, misrepresentation. You know what I mean? It's like, toys should be in that. If you were under the age of 12, everything in that should be fun under the tree, you know? But I've also realized that the older that I get... I've really gotten more concerned about giving a perfect gift than really receiving it. Have you ever realized you get to a point where you have so much? We are so blessed as a nation. Even if you think that you're struggling this, if we compared ourselves to other countries and their living conditions and people sleeping on the floors and not knowing where food is coming from, sending their children into the, to the city dump to bring food home, to whatever they can scavenge to bring home, we are blessed and we are fortunate. You know, we are not blessed just to get. I truly believe that we are blessed to give. That is a fundamental statement that you need to internalize. That the more that God gives you, the more you need to be giving away and not hoarding up and creating this little kingdom for yourself. Because you can't take it with you. So it's only the lives that we can touch in this world really matters. Speaking of perfect gifts, I read this week from uh, Mississippi State University said that this year, this is the averages that have already been calculated, that this year the average American family will spend $750 on Christmas gifts. Now I know that we exceeded that because my wife loves to shop for people. So there's some that I think we're above and beyond. But they're saying the average American family spends $750. There's one or two more statements I can or cannot agree with. Women spend 20 hours buying gifts... I can agree that. Men spend 10 hours buying gifts. <laughs> Cannot agree with that. I haven't spent 10 hours in a store over the last several months, let alone. Also, they're saying, now this is according to Mississippi State University, and you know what a reputable college they are. Uh, people say <laughs> that you will expect to wait in line three and a half hours this year. 
three and a half hours. Now this is average, so that means there are some people out there that were spending more than three and a half hours, and then there's people with me spending 3.5 minutes in line. So it's, there's an average on that, especially, yeah, with online shopping. Maybe if you have dial-up, you're spending three and a half hours online, but, you know, I, I can't fathom spending three and a half hours. Now, I did hear today that Toys R Us is going to be open up 88 hours straight right up until Christmas Day, so if you haven't spent your three and a half hours in line, go for it, okay? You got 88 hours, you'll have 84.5 hours left over uh, to do what you want to do. Now, the thing that I really enjoyed about this survey, though, they said, what was ranked as the perfect gift for people? And no, it wasn't the iPad, okay? The most perfect gift for people was spending time with loved ones over the Christmas season. Man, didn't see that one coming, did you? Not after the 3.5 hours in line. I'll come spend time at your house for free if you feed me, okay? There's a little caveat there if you know. Uh, God, God delights in giving a perfect gift. And if you have your Bibles, we're going to look at a few scriptures today before I take you into our video clip for today. But James 1, verse 17 tells us this, that every good, present, and perfect gift comes from above. Now, first off, I'm, this is something you need to hold on to all year long, not just at Christmas time, not at your birthday. Every good and perfect thing comes from above. So if you're experiencing something that's not good and not perfect, it is not coming from God. Because God is a rewarder. God gives good things. God loves to bless you. Okay? But here's what James is saying. Every good, present, and perfect gift comes from above, from the Father who made the sun, the moon, and the stars. The Father doesn't change like the shifting shadows produced by the sun and the moon. So what it's saying is God is always consistent. God is always faithful. God is always merciful. God is always gracious. No matter what you are doing, God stays the same. There are times where we'll feel like we're away from God. God hasn't moved. We've decided to cut Him out of our schedule. We've decided to cut back. Maybe we're depending upon ourselves a little bit more this time of the year. Maybe we're putting our hope and trust in someone else. That it's up to you to make me happy this year. Well, if my family would respect me, then I could enjoy this season more. The joy has to come from you and not from people. Because man will let you down, but God will never let you down. And when you put your hope and trust in man, you will be disappointed. But put your hope and trust in God. Jesus tells us also about the gift and giving. In Matthew 7, verse 11. And it tells us, even though you're evil, you know how to give good gifts to your children. So how much more will your Father in heaven give good things to those who ask for him? That's saying, God knows the perfect things that you need in your life and when you need them. Now, I've got to be honest with you. There's times I've prayed for God to do certain things and it didn't happen in my timing. And I was saying, God, this really needs to happen. There's a deadline. This has to come in. This needs to transpire before this time. And I'm not hearing anything. Remember, God is perfect. I'm imperfect. So guess who is probably off on the calculations, okay? God who says, you know what, Mark? Would you just relax? You know, have you ever thought about... You know, I know we all see God in this heaven. But sometimes he just says, would you guys just chill for a little while? Trust me. Why don't you read my book? Get out of Facebook and put your face in my book and spend a little time with me. Yeah, thank you. All right. There's, man, I'm going to start preaching a little more over on this side. 
Just kidding. I love you guys over there too. So we're going to be looking today at a Christmas classic. Now last week, if you were here, we saw a small clip from How the Grinch, and the title of my message, Couldn't Steal Christmas. How the Grinch Couldn't Steal Christmas. And we looked at how Herod's heart really was two sizes too small when he heard about the Messiah being born. And how the Grinch tried to steal Christmas by saying, well, if I can remove their gifts and their presents and their songs and their feasts, then Christmas won't come. And the surprise at the very end of that show is that Christmas comes regardless of the gifts, the presents, and and the feast. Christmas is more than gifts and presents and food. It's about the baby that was born that we celebrate this time. So this week, we've got another clip from you for a, a Christmas classic. In fact, the movie that you're about to see for a few minutes is actually voted best Christmas story of all time. And it's called A Christmas Story, and it allows us to see inside of a family from the late 1930s to the early 1940s era. And if you haven't seen the movie, it's about um, an obsession that a 10-year-old little boy, Ralphie, has with his perfect Christmas gift. And the entire ambitious results of trying to get the perfect Christmas gift, which was, does anybody remember? Red Ryder BB gun, okay? Man, he was going to save the world with his gun. So guys, do you have the clip ready to go? That's pretty much the whole movie right there in a very small clip. Wanting that perfect gift. Let's go to today's passage for the scriptures. And if you have your Bibles with you, let's go to Matthew, second chapter, verses 9 through 11. And this is what the Word of God is telling us. And after they had heard the king, they started out. The star that they had seen rising led them until it stopped over the place where the child was. Verse 10. They were overwhelmed with joy to see the star. And when they entered the house, they saw the child with his mother Mary. So they bowed down and worshipped him. And then they opened their treasure chest and offered him gifts of gold, frankincense, and myrrh. Now, first off, I told you that God is the giver of all good gifts. And every perfect gift comes from Him. But I also want you to see that the gifts that God has given us can be perfected when we put them into action that He's called us to do. See, all of us have been given gifts, but some of us haven't activated those gifts yet because we feel that we won't perform well. But God has a way of perfecting our imperfections to accomplish the plan that He has for our lives. And so as we see, these gifts that the wise men brought were, in fact, perfect. So if you're taking notes today, my first point is that the gifts of the Magi were perfect. Because we saw that in Matthew 2, verse 11, the scripture that we read, it said that when they entered the house, they saw the child with his mother Mary, they bowed down and worshipped him. And they opened their treasure chest, offering him the gold, the frankincense, and the myrrh. You have to see that the wise men gave sacrificially in this story. They weren't re-gifting, okay? This wasn't some myrrh that they had left over from last year, and it's like, who could we give this to? Here, there's going to be a new Messiah born. Let's give it to him. No, these were expensive gifts that were brought, and they knelt and worshipped a baby, You know, I tell you so many times that when you're reading a story, will you put yourself into that story? That you are a a man of power and position, you have a full entourage, and you've traveled, and now you're in the presence of a baby. 
and you're going to kneel down and start worshiping this helpless baby? Now, wouldn't it be easier that if Jesus was already in his, his, his glory and sitting on a throne and there was this majestic temple, that all of us would be in the mood at that point then to come in and just the atmosphere alone would get us to worship God. But these wise men worshipped a baby because they knew of who he was. And they brought him the gifts that were sacrificially given. I believe that these were perfect gifts for two reasons. One, the gifts were symbolic. I came across this passage and I wanted to actually read it because I felt that John Stott wrote this so perfectly. John wrote this, Gold is the gift fit for a king. Frankincense was in constant use by the priest in the temple. And myrrh was used to embalm the dead. So in these three gifts we see who he is, what he came to do, and what it would cost him. That's why the three gifts from the wise men were perfect. Now, I've got to be honest with you. If somebody brought embalming fluid to a baby shower, I don't know how the women would truly react to this. It would be an interesting gift. I think even bringing it, I'm thinking, I hope this gift is received well, because that's what it was used for. Okay? That's why when you read the scriptures and it says, and Mary pondered all these things in her heart, you see, she's remembering what was said about Jesus on the eighth day, which they took him in for circumcision, and they ran into two interesting people. And if you want to read the story, I encourage you. Anna and Simeon. Both had been waiting to see the Messiah. One had prayed that I would see the Messiah before I died, and the other one proclaimed that this baby was born to die for others. So when this embalming fluid is given, I think Mary's remembering what has been transpiring and the power of this baby's life to change mankind. So these gifts were symbolic. The Magi had no idea how symbolic these gifts were. Their gifts were also helpful. Because if you remember, right after the birth of Jesus, in a dream, Joseph... Jesus' earthly father, was shown in a dream that he had to move to Egypt to protect baby Jesus and Mary because Herod was trying to kill them. In fact, Herod killed all the babies in that town and in the area that were under the age of two and under. See, even back then, Satan couldn't stop Jesus' power and authority in life. He tried through the use of man, but God pr protected Mary, Joseph, and baby Jesus. And think about this. Travel at that time was still very expensive. Joseph was a carpenter. So all of a sudden he would have to move to a new town. He would have to set up shop. He would have to get clients. Do you understand? If I said to you, hey, Randy, senior, I want you to move to Oklahoma City. I want you to set up shop up there. I want you to take care of Rhonda, but I want you to do it all up there. All of a sudden he's thinking, well, I've got moving expenses. I'm going to have some business expenses. There's going to be, what are we going to do while we're getting this new business started up there? A lot of expenses. Wait a second. The wise men brought some gold. And gold has always been a very valuable, powerful thing. God will always provide for the dream and the vision that He has placed in your life. 
There are so many ministries sitting on the sidelines of life, waiting to get activated when this happens and when this happens. And I want to just scream at them, get on the field. At least start moving around. You may not know what the coach is going to do with you, but get active. Get up. Get on the field. And God will provide. Because one of the most powerful statements I've ever actually from a, a missionary, Hudson Taylor, it says that God's work done God's way will always have God's provision. Amen. Period. And I truly believe that. And why you see some ministries not surviving is because they've gotten the formula wrong. They've gotten their eyes off of the true reason we do get together. And provision is tied on that. God will supply all of my needs according to His riches and glory. And when God calls you to do something, He will provide. So when God was planning to move them to Egypt, He knew that they were going to need that source of income from that gold. I'd love for people to show up my doorstep with a a box of gold and say, Here, here's provision. But then I know that God's going to have something coming. It wasn't going to be just for me to go get a bigger TV or a bigger home. I knew that God was going to have something bigger planned for me. But you know what? That's the call on my life. That's the call on our lives. To offer everything that we have in service to God. To say, Lord, you are everything. And while I'm on this earth, and I'm away from your presence in in the physical, I want to do everything that I can to be your arms and legs to this world. So we see that the gifts were not only symbolic, but they were perfect. The second point today is that God's gifts are perfect. Now, anytime you usually see the word gift in the New Testament, we're seeing it being in terms of a gift of God, which is always an implication of it being a free gift from God, which is always tying into God's gratuitous nature. God is a giving God. Okay? I worship a giving God. Do you realize that? The first thing that He did when He created Adam was He gave life. He breathed out life. He didn't take an offering. He gave to Adam. Do you realize that? God is in the giving business. God gave me life. God gave me this day. That's why I do wake up every morning and I say, this is the day the Lord has made and I will rejoice and be glad in it. Because it is a gift. You may be struggling through your days, but you've got to realize that each day we're alive is a gift. There's sometimes I have to go into hospital situations and man, it just tears my heart up. And then later that day, I'll get a phone call of somebody who's complaining about something so trivial. And I'm thinking, if I could just take you in and let you introduce a family that's losing a a family member way before it's time, and let you sit with them and cry with them for several hours, go back to your home, and you know that broken microwave isn't going to seem like that big of a deal. God doesn't hate you because your microwave broke down before a big deal. Do you understand? So we've got to see that there is so much going on in this world, and God is a giving God freely given, freely received. And since we know that God delights in the perfect gift, let's take a look at some of the perfect gifts that He has given us. First, He has given us the abundance of spiritual gifts. The abundance of spiritual gifts. The Bible tells us that God has gifted each person with spiritual gifts. Do you know that? 1 Corinthians 7.7 7 says this, I would like everyone to be like me. <laughs> now, I wouldn't have wrote that, okay? But this is what Paul was writing. I would like for everyone to be like me. However, each person has a special gift from God. And these gifts vary from person to person. 
do you realize that every person you meet has been given a gift from God? No matter what they look like, no matter how they're treating you at the time, no matter what the circumstances, these gifts are not returnable, they're not exchangeable, and they don't diminish. Now, I know that God gave Kristen more than one. This guy's where I'm getting my one point. God has given her a gift of mercy. God has given her a gift of encouragement. God has given her a gift of love. When you hang around with her, you will get encouraged. She will give you something. Okay? I see those gifts. I see also the call of God in her life to encourage women to be all that they can be. I see gifts in each of my children. And those gifts, that's why we get them up once a year. So you know what? We want you to say something to the congregation. And as you've seen them growing, you've seen them growing spiritually and maturing. And I see the gifts. And all three of my kids have different gifts. They're not all the same. And that's in any family. But we have been given gifts to give to the body of Christ so that when we bring all of our gifts together, we are a powerful organization. Do you understand that? There's a story that I read about two years ago. Two students graduated from the Chicago-Kent College of Law. And the highest-ranking student in this class was a blind gentleman named Overton. And when he received his honors, he insisted that half of the credit should go to his friend, Kapersky. Now, Mr. Kapersky was an armless gentleman that they had met in the halls of college even the first week. And what happened is Mr. Kapersky would always lead Mr. Overton down the stairs into the hallways. But Mr. Overton, who was blind, would carry the books for Mr. Kapersky. And they came up with this great relationship that the one would carry the books and guide them around the campus, and the other would read to the blind gentleman. And because of that, they became great friends, and they used their gifts to encourage each other. So much so that when Mr. Overton graduated first in his class, they then became partners in a law firm that is now touching and affecting multiple people in the Chicago area. But see, individually, they could have talked themselves out of, well, that's just too big of a goal for me. I'm blind. How would I ever get through the classes? Can imagine being armless and going into a college situation thinking, how am I going to carry my books or type my papers or do research in the library? But God brings those people together that says, I have a gift here, you have a gift here, together you can do powerful things. Unfortunately, a lot of us carry our gifts around by ourselves and we put it in our backpack and we don't show that gift to a lot of people. We've been given perfect gifts from God. If your gift is encouragement, would you pray that this year coming would be the best year ever for you to give your gift of encouragement? If your gift is that of just being merciful, would you start practicing that in every way that you can? Some of you might say, Mark, I don't know what my gift is. Would you pray that God would reveal that gift to you so that you, in 2011, can walk in the gifts and callings that God has called you? What a powerful prayer. But we have all been given gifts. And it's important that we understand the power that we have within each of us. 1 Peter 4.10 tells us this, Each of you, as a good manager, must use the gift that God has given you to serve others. 
Do you see? That gift may not just be to build your incredible wealth so that you can have a name and popularity, but so that you can serve others in your wealth. If God has talented you like with Dino and his music and his voice, man, I would love to be able to sing and lead and just play on the guitar. When I see Matt and David playing on the keyboards, I've always thought, wouldn't it be great just at one night to sit and, and just play at the keyboards and worship God? But that's not my gift. That's not my calling. I can play a radio, but that's about it. So I do that a lot, but it's not my gift and calling. But man, I love to be around when they are. I love being up here even when they're practicing. Because I'll come up and I'll sing sometimes with Dino. I mean, he looks at me, but I love to sing with him, you know what I mean? And we're just doing a little duet thing. This is when they all aren't here. But you know, I love giving my gift in with theirs and saying, I just want to be in the presence of God while you guys are leading us in worship. And that's what happens when the body comes together. And Dino and Randy and David and Matt bring their gifts and they share it with you. Because you realize just individually, they're not as strong as they are together. So it's important that we understand this. 2 Timothy also 1.6 tells us this, You received a gift from God when I placed my hands on you to ordain you, and now I'm reminding you to fan that gift into flames. Other versions are saying, stir the gift that's inside of you. You know, God kind of showed me that the gifts that we have is kind of like my metabolism. And you know this, as, as you get older, the more that you become inactive, the slower your metabolism comes. Correct? So, the more active I am, the, the more I add speed to my metabolism. When Paul is telling Timothy, stir those gifts inside of you. Do not allow them to become dormant because what happens is inactivity will make your gift dormant. It doesn't remove it. It just doesn't make it a very strong thing. Do you understand? So that the very first few times you start using it, it's kind of like me saying, tomorrow morning, I'm going to start working out. I'm going to tell you that my first morning back to working out is probably not going to be the easiest thing. But have you ever noticed that when you got into a routine, it becomes easier? Now, this is going to shock you guys, okay? So everybody, everybody's seated. I used to be a runner in college. Promise. And what happened is we had this great, there was a lake near our college that had a sidewalk all the way around it. The lake was three miles around. Well, all the girls would get in cars and drive around the lake, so all the guys would get on the lake and start walking the sidewalk. Well, I thought, man, if I could run... That'd be a little more impressive than everybody else that's walking, right? So I started, and you could see the entire lake. So I first said, you know, if I can run to that area over there, that'd be great. And I started running, and I did it every night. Got to that point, and I said, now I can go a little further. Got to that point, I said, now I think I can go a little further. And I wasn't getting tired the way I was before. And all of a sudden, I was coming back to the very beginning. I'm saying, okay, that's three miles. I bet I can do more. So I started running four miles and five miles. Now, I was very skinny at this time, okay? But I'm out there doing four or five miles. Now it's not as much for the attention I'm getting. It was the ability to push myself to see what I could accomplish. i got to tell you, my motives at first were wrong, but God used it together for good. And so what was happening, though, is I'm running and and I'm realizing you get into a runner's mode where everything else just kind of blocks out. You, you don't feel the pain. You don't feel, at first, there was pain. I'm going to tell you, okay? There was a lot of agony, the agony of defeat, you know? Okay, but 
I got into this runner's mode and it was just nothing. Man, I'm just talking, thinking, praying all this time while I'm just running. Sometimes we allow our spiritual gifts to become so complacent and God's saying, all right, are you ready for a 3K? You ready for a 5K with your gifts? Are you ready to start stirring them up? Start using them? Because I'm going to tell you, the more you are walking in your spiritual gifts, the less you are focused on the pain of this world. You show me a negative, bitter person, I'm going to show you somebody who's self-centered and is not affecting anyone other than themselves. Those are the phone calls you don't want to take when you see them saying, this is going to be a 15-minute why me God session, right? But then there's other people like Joe Hochberg called me and said, hey, what are we having for dinner tonight? And I'm like, Joe, what do you want tonight? See, there's times, man, where people will build you up and then there are those that just want to pull you down. But when they are walking in their spiritual gifts and God is moving through them, they are affecting so many lives that what they're calling to say is, you won't believe this. I had an opportunity to share my testimony in the elevator with 16 perfect strangers, did an altar call, 15 of them got saved. One was the elevator guy, but you know, he had his ups and downs. But that's what happened with God today. Hey, this service is free, okay? I want you to know that, all right? There was no cover charge on this. But that's walking in your gifts. When you say, God, will you use me? If I'm in an elevator with people, is there a way that I can encourage them? Is there a way that I can bring joy into a situation? Have you ever just walked into an elevator, said something, and had the whole elevator laugh? I have. Sometimes I don't even say anything. I walk in the elevator, people just start laughing. The point being, though, is... That's bringing joy. That's a gift of joy. We need more joy out there. We need more hope out there. We need more peace out there. Because the world is not providing that. Walmart is not selling it. Walmart's testing it, but Walmart's not selling it. Forget that three and a half hours in line. See, that's not my gift. That's not my calling. Somebody asked me this morning, have you done all your Christmas shopping? I said, man, I only have one person I've got to focus on. I just have to get the perfect gift for one person and the whole world is at peace in our home. You see what I mean? She takes care of everything else. But if I miss that one, all of a sudden, it's not going to be a silent night, okay? And I'm going to be praying that it's a holy night. But I only have one person I've got to buy for. I love you, honey. The second of God's perfect gifts that he has given us is the gift of the Holy Spirit. After Jesus had been raised from the dead, he said this to his apostles in Acts chapter 1, verse 4. And he said this, Once, when he was eating with them, he commanded them, Do not leave Jerusalem until the Father sends you the gift he promised you, as I told you before. The Holy Spirit is inside of me. The Holy Spirit is inside everyone. Okay, even the worst of sinners, the Holy Spirit is instilled inside of them, guiding and directing them to a relationship with Jesus Christ. They're not listening to that voice, but it's still inside of them. It's when you start walking your gifts, you start hearing the gift and the voice of the Holy Spirit more. Don't do this. This is not right. You will not have a blessing with this. That's that voice of saying, you know, I really think that even though it's going to cause more work, I'm going to do the right thing in this situation. When we're looking at a coworker and something inside of us says, you're taking too long of a look, stop looking. 
That's the voice of the Holy Spirit. Because what that's going to pursue is not going to encourage your marriage. Do you understand? The voice of the Holy Spirit is guiding us, and it is a gift that we have been given to encourage us. John 14, 26 says this, However, the Helper, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, will teach you everything. Wow. He will teach you everything. He will remind you of everything that I have ever told you. Now, James Packer gave this story that I really liked. He talked about our lives being floodlights. And he said that the gift of floodlighting is that you never notice the source of the floodlights, only what it is highlighting. And he was going through saying that when floodlighting around a building is done in a proper way, you notice more of the building that is being highlighted than the source of where those lights are coming from. Have you ever driven past somebody's house and they've got those floodlights way high up in the trees and you really don't see that, but it kind of just highlights the yard in a very nice way or highlights the house through the shrubs. And he was saying that our lives are like the Holy Spirit being behind us, shining light on Jesus Christ. What would normally be in the dark is being illuminated because of the light. Now the Holy Spirit will never say, follow me. Listen to me. Get closer to me. The Holy Spirit is always saying, follow Him, your Heavenly Father. Listen to Him. Pursue Him. That's the whole role of the Holy Spirit, is not to gain attention to Himself, but to say, over there. That's the source. Sometimes we look so much at the floodlights, we're not looking at what we should be highlighted with that floodlighting. Our lives need to be shining light on Jesus, not ourselves. Because I'll tell you what, when you start standing in front of a floodlight, people will examine your life. I don't want to be in that point. I want to be saying, look to Him, the author and finisher of your faith, the perfecter of those. It's not about me, it's about God. It's about the Heavenly Father, it's about the gift that Jesus sent us. Because anytime we get enamored with a speaker or a singer or anything like that, we've taken our eyes off the source and we started looking at the floodlight. And that's not the role of the Holy Spirit in our lives. So it's important that we understand the role of of the Holy Spirit in our life. Another perfect gift that God has given us is the gift of salvation. Romans 6.23 is a very, very powerful passage. And it says, The payment for sin is death, but the gift that God freely gives is everlasting life found in Jesus Christ our Lord. Man, That is very clear on salvation. It's a gift to man from God. And there's nothing that we can do to earn it. You cannot earn salvation. It's a free gift. Paul wrote this in Ephesians 2.8. God saved you through through faith as an act of kindness. You had nothing to do with it. Being saved is a gift from God. This is the gift that meets all of our needs. It freed me from my sin. It freed you from your sin. It freed you from the bondage of sin. It freed you from the sickness and disease that our bodies were born with. As I tell you every week, we are born with eternal life. Where we decide to spend it is important. Not whether you want it or not. You already have it. That was a gift that God gave you. But God also sent His Son that you could spend it with Him. It brings us back into relationship. It's our homecoming. Two weeks ago, several of the students from Pantego 
and Miss Sherry uh, got to go visit the troops as they were coming back at DFW. And it was a very emotional thing because these troops were coming off. In fact, before the troops exited the airplane, the spokesman said, these troops are just now getting right from active duty in Afghanistan and some very uh, volatile areas. They may not want to shake hands with you. Please don't uh, lunge at them or do anything that would, you know, scare them. And so everybody kind of had this, okay, we're going to step back a little and just greet, greet, greet the troops as they're coming. But one of the students said, the moment that those soldiers saw all of these people and the banners that were being held and they were chanting USA, those soldiers were shaking hands like a good politician. They were going one or two deep saying, man, thank you for coming back and welcoming me back into the States. And there were homecomings. And what you saw was that families were hugging. And this was not the, the I'll see you at 5 o'clock kind of hug. This was, I haven't seen you in months. And that holding and embracing and small children were, were coming and grabbing their, their mom or dad's leg and, and just you saw and sensed. In fact, they even had news coverage that day. That's the homecoming that God has planned for us. That's why he sent his son to die on a cross for us. Do you remember what I said to you about what was the perfect gift according to Mississippi State University? It was to spend time with loved ones over this Christmas season. Why do you think God sent His Son to die on a cross for our sins so that we could spend eternity with Him? So He could spend that time with us. God is grieved when people turn away from the gift that He's given us. I have a video that I'd like to show you. And it's very powerful. It's, it's one of the longer ones. It's five minutes. But I weep every time I see this video. How do you tie in gifts and the gift giving and the worship that I try to teach you about that heaven is going to be like into one video? And this is about as close as I think that we can get on this earth of combining shopping and worshiping at the same time. Gentlemen, you have that video ready?